Hi, everybody. Eve Harrow. You're listening to Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. It is March 22nd, 2022, the 19th of Adar, 5782. Yesterday was officially the first day of spring. Uh, You wouldn't really feel it here in Israel. It's been unusually cold. And uh, there's been some people complaining about it, like we're tired of winter and what's going on. And I took a different took a different look at it. First of all, it's amazing to me that our sages got it right about 16, 1700 years ago when they fixed the Jewish calendar. You know, the way it works, and I think I've talked about this before, is that Passover must be in the spring. The Jewish calendar is totally, totally in rhythm with the land of Israel. And Passover is, and, and the month of Nisan used to actually be the first month of the year. But Passover must be in the spring, and, uh, and we're connected to the agriculture here and to the seasons, as opposed to, let's say, the Islamic calendar. Ramadan is going to be uh, coincide with Passover this year. There's other years that it's in August. There's other years that it's in October. There are nomadic people. They're not connected to the land, and therefore their calendar doesn't matter when their holidays turn out. They're not connected in any way to agricultural seasons or to the weather in any event. So that's what we've got going on here. And um, what the sages would do is at the end of the winter, at the end of the month of Adar, they would walk the land and see if we were ready for spring. Are the sheep fat and ready to be sheared? Has it stopped raining? What's the weather like? Are the barley and the wheat uh, ripening in the field? And if the answer was yes, then we went into Nisan and we went into the spring. And if the answer was no, they stuck in another month, which is always a second Adar. And it's always in order to push Nisan and to push the spring off to give the weather a chance to catch up in the agriculture. And that's exactly what's happened this year. You could see it so beautifully. We are not in the spring yet. Um, and we are not re- if, if, thinking about having Passover now is just like a ridiculous thing. You can see, you can see what's blooming and what's not. The the barley is not ready to be sh- to be um, to be harvested yet. And so, you know, you think about the mathematical calculations that went into what they did so long ago. And the calendar used to be done. Uh, the months used to be announced on a case by case basis, right? You had two people who would see the moon and go to the Sanhedrin, the court of sages and say what's going on, and they would decree it's a new month, etc., etc. The people who lived outside the land of Israel took a little while to get the information. Bonfires were lit all the way into Babylon, and we still know where those bonfires were lit. Um, and uh, so that's why there there's extra days of holidays outside of the land, most specifically being the second Seder, where we just have one here. But that's coming up. In any event, it's just so cool to see that, like, yeah, the sages nailed it so long ago. I don't know how they knew, but they figured out that this was not going to be a a quick spring and we were going to have a great winter this year, which we have had. And so, yeah, it's cold, but what I'm so looking forward to is the fruits because the cold is really good for the stone fruits, for the cherries and the apricots. And so we should have, I hope, an amazing bounty of beautiful fruit come the springtime. And I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, I'm going to be wearing my sweater for a couple days longer than I normally would. Um, and the heat will be on in the house for you know a few weeks longer than it would be. But overall, when you see the, the great picture of what's happening here, it's a, it's a chance, as with so many things, there's a chance of seeing the downsiders so there's a chance to see the blessing and essentially see like Hashem's power within the things that are happening and um, so that's the, the tack that I have chosen to take um, and we shall see what the next few weeks bring but um, in the meantime of course everybody's talking about what's going on 
with Ukraine and with Russia. Um, I'm going to be doing a webinar. Next week's show is going to be a lot on that because I have uh, Eugene Kontorovich has agreed to be on a webinar for When Is All Fun. So that's going to be, I think we're doing it next Sunday night. You're, you're welcome, of course, to tune in live. You can, you can write to me and I'm happy to send you the link to register. It's free. You just have to register ahead of time. Um, or you could just go on the When Is All Fun page and find the, um, the registration button on your own. But uh, anyway, so that's going to be next week. And he's really, he was born in Kiev and he's, first of all, he's like an outrageously brilliant guy and he's got some interesting things to say. But actually today, and just have a few minutes to do this show, I wanted to um, expose you to somebody who is, uh, I think you guys should be following, uh, the, for those of you who have the application Telegram, there's a lot of you know, very cool news services, but there's somebody, and the reason that I'm telling you this is because he now has it in English, Abu Ali Express. I don't know who he is. I have no connection to him. I am not doing this as a favor. I have absolutely no idea who he is, but I've been following him on and off. And um, he has made some very, very interesting points that I haven't heard other people make, you know, like... There's so many people out there who are just kind of regurgitating what other people are saying. I mean, which is fine, but I, I like, as you guys know, I like the people who um, are thinking out of the box and seeing it maybe in a slightly different way than everybody else, and he definitely is. And what he's been saying already for a few weeks is that um, the uh, so-called Palestinians, of course, are using what's happening there as to bolster their own narrative, right? So Israel's the Russians, they're the Ukrainians, and, you know, these, these poor people whose land is just being violated and taken over, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You get the picture. By the way, I'm appearing on a panel next week for a university um, for the Jewish Studies Department. They're doing a Zoom panel on the issue of Israel and the Palestinians. So they've got three Palestinians, a left-wing Israeli, a center Israeli, centrist Israeli, and me. So that should be interesting. I don't know if it's open to the public. It might be. If it is uh, and anyone's interested, I can send you the link for that. Um, so it's kind of like going on a Zoom firing squad, as it would be. But I will do my best to portray the um, the side of the Jews who feel that uh, no, we've actually come home, and this is this is our place, and we welcome other people as we have been doing all the way through. But uh, we're not committing suicide anytime soon. Uh, definitely not when it has to do with the fact that this is not just about Israel, but this is about um, really a much bigger picture of people who stand for what's good in the world and not terrorism and what isn't so great for the world. So here we go. So I wanted to just read to you something that he wrote already a few weeks ago, this Abu Ali Express, that I think uh, sheds some light onto how the specifically the Palestinians are using this so that you keep your eyes open and are aware of what's happening. Fascinatingly enough, apparently the Arab press ha is already like aware of this. And, you know, it's not, there's nothing like the Arab press to give you like the real view. If you think that I'm negative towards, you know, a Palestinian state and, and all that, not towards individual Arabs, they should live and be well, but they're not taking over my country. Um, but um, there's nothing like, you know, if you can get a hold of it, is under, you know, is is the Arab press and um, and you know what they've got to say about the rights of Palestinians. It's like a whole other ball game. It makes me look like I don't know, like one of the like the bartender, whatever her name is. I don't even want to say. Anyway, so I thought I would just read this out to you, and um, and then you guys can can kind of get that glimpse, and and then I would really suggest following him. And, and seeing what's going on. So the first thing he talks about is the Molotov cocktail, right? The Molotov cocktail, unfortunately, 
I have had um, personal meetings with and not at a bar with a little umbrella in it either, uh, getting thrown into my car many years ago when when we were, um, and we still are, I and mean, there's still way too much terror and rocks on the road, but there were years where it was, um, I was just talking about that with somebody the other day, years where I would make my bed and clean the house spick and span before I left to go anywhere because I wasn't sure that people weren't going to be coming back um, like as, you know, to pay a shiva call in my house, right, the week of mourning. I didn't want anybody to think I'd been a terrible housekeeper. But we were really, there were some really, really bad times, and thank God um, we're not there anymore. It's something really to appreciate. Um, my husband and I went to see a play. I'll get back to the list in a second. Um, Blessings of a Broken Heart by Sherry Mandel, whose son Kobe was brutally murdered. I mean, stoned to death, if those of you remember, um, over 20 years ago not far from here in Tacoa. And she has really, she's written some incredibly, incredible books about the pain. And there's a play now that we went to see about it. She's really, really something. If you're in Israel or I don't know, maybe they're going to take it abroad. I would highly recommend it, but it brought back all of those years and every phone call and, and all of that. Um, anyway, so back to the models of cocktails. So what he talks about is the Molotov cocktail as a recurring symbol for comparison. Ukrainians throw Molotov cocktails at Russian tanks. Palestinians throw Molotov cocktails at civilian vehicles and into private homes. So, you know, there's those images, for those of you old enough to remember, the little Arab kid with the rock and the big tank. Of course, they're the David, we're the Goliath, right? We're the brutal, out of, out of total context whatsoever. Of course, the truth is that um, what they, they did attack civilians. They don't attack soldiers. Not that it's right to attack soldiers either, but you could make more of a case for that, but to throw a Molotov cocktail through the windshields of a woman who's traveling with her children, as happened to me, um, tough to have that kind of justification, but by, you know, comparing that to, um, you know, they're the, like, that's what the Ukrainians are doing, and that's what they did, and it's, you know, just the people rising up to protest oppression and to protest the coming genocide. Um, incidentally, and I, I'll just get this over with, um, because I know that a lot of other people have talked about this, including, I believe, Josh Haston on his show yesterday, um, Zelensky's speech to the Knesset um, was an interesting one. I, just in general, dislike uh, Holocaust comparisons on any level with anything. Nobody ever talks about like Hiroshima and Nagasaki, like this was a real Hiroshima and Nagasaki. There are certain things that just stand alone in their horror of the level of what happened there. And I really, I think that the whole thing with the Holocaust has been way too abused for way too long. Yes, there's been other genocides and yes, there's been other terrible things that have happened to people. But the scale of the Holocaust is really something that should just not be, or Nazis, you know, should just not be thrown out there. Um, and I think that it was a mistake that he did that. He got a lot of Israelis and Jews and other people upset by doing that. Um, uh, and also, you know, that he's kind of yelling at Israel for not doing enough when we're doing more than anybody else. So at this point, and I think we have a lot to be proud of. Um, so, you know, there's that. But anyhow, as I said, I don't want to get into his whole speech. I wanted to concentrate on this list from Abu Ali Express. So that's one of the kind of the comparisons that the Palestinians are trying to make. Um, the Ukraine is not launching rockets at the civilian population within Russia's sovereign territory. Hamas, the Palestinian terror organization, as designated by the West that controls the Gaza Strip, does this regularly. Okay, so another thing that they're doing, uh, they just like randomly, I was in Ashkelon yesterday, um, which is Israel's southernmost city, um, and every single house there, without exception, especially in the, in the room facing the south, has a serious, serious, serious bomb shelter. Um, because it's happened in the past, it's going to happen in the future, just out of nowhere, 
uh, rockets being rained down on a on a civilian city from the Gaza Strip. So, so Ukraine is not doing that, as at least as far as we know. Um, that is something though that the Hamas is doing. So these are these are the reasons why their argument doesn't hold. Okay, so if anybody's like arguing with you, uh, you could pull these out. Um, the, and if you'd like, I can send you. If you can't find it, I, if you want to write to me, um, Eve at the Land of Israel. Dot com, I think, or eve.harrow with one R, H-A-R-O-W at gmail.com. Happy to hear from you, and I'm happy to send this to you as well. The Ukraine recognizes Russia's sovereignty. Hamas, but say on the other hand, Hamas does not recognize Israel and has declared time and again that it aims to destroy it. So that's what we need to understand. This, there's no like bridging the gap here um, for the Hamas and also for the Palestinian Authority. They're just a little more clever about saying it. They're not as honest, let's put it that way, about saying it. This whole thing is, is a mission to replace Israel with Palestine. It's not a side-by-side, two-state solution that everybody still who's stuck in the 90s uh, wants to say. I mean, it's very, very clear what the story is here. Um, Ukraine is a sovereign state with declared borders that has existed peacefully alongside its neighbors for decades. Palestine is not a sovereign state with declared borders. All right, so that's pretty clear. And of course, those of you I know, you know, know that when you look at a map that says Palestine, there was never a Palestine. It was the British mandate for Palestine based on the name Syria-Palestine that Hadrian gave the area in the second century after the Bar Kokhba revolt when he attempted to destroy Judea. He did a really good job of it for a while. But um, we're back. Israel, on its own initiative, withdrew all Israeli presence, both military and civilian, from the Gaza Strip in 2005 following the Oslo Accords as a token of good faith. Despite this, terror attacks from Gaza to Israel continue. As many of you know, I was heavily involved with that expulsion uh, with 2005, trying to stop it going down there. It's still, I, it still amazes me what an open wound that is. You know, um, many Jewish homes have an area like a piece of wall that is uh, intentionally unfinished or has a broken stone or something to remember um, that really life and things are not whole uh, since the second temple was destroyed. Um, I have one here as well in my house. Um, and there is an orange ribbon that is tacked onto it as well, because I do believe that that was um, that was also, you know, a destruction, and uh, and it's still incredibly painful. So Israel did that, um, and it was horrible, of course, and stupid, of course. Um, but that's not, uh, but you know, it didn't it didn't help. It just made things worse. Okay. While, while they're fighting the Russians, the Ukrainians have no intention of harming Russian citizens and are actively trying to reach out to them to stop the war. On the other hand, for decades, Palestinians have been committing terror acts against civilians in Israel and Jews around the world, suicide bombings, hijackings, kidnappings, rocket-fired civilian centers, shooting, stabbing, etc., of course, taking down planes, um, which is why, you know, main reason why if you want to travel these days, which is a bigger nightmare than it's ever been because of COVID and everything else, but that security situation that, like, most of our kids just think always has been in his baseline uh, didn't always exist and those of us a little bit older remember that you could run for a plane you didn't have to take your shoes off you could take a tweezer you could take a bottle of water um, and that is thanks to the so-called Palestinians okay so we need to remember that there's a lot of things you know we get used to like a status quo it's super important to remember before that was the status quo what the situation is we're kind of like lobsters getting boiled and getting used to the heat. Okay, Russians are living in the Ukraine, but no Israelis are living in the Gaza Strip. And what would happen to 
a Gaza citizen who entered Israel, nothing. He probably he might if he has his papers, he'll go to work and do fine. And if he doesn't have papers or he doesn't have security clearance, he'll be sent back. Um, but there are plenty of people from Gaza in Israel every single day working, and they're not worried about their lives. They're not worried about somebody attacking them. So let's just keep that in mind. And when I take people around Judea and Samaria, because of course I can't tour Gaza anymore, um, I point out that the villages that have the security cameras and all the you know trappings of not just trappings but have serious security are the Jewish ones because we're the ones that are worried about an infiltration and about wanton murder and about the kindergarten getting slaughtered they are not okay um what is the what's the fate of an Israeli citizen who enters the Gaza Strip right we know exactly Hamas is currently holding several Israeli civilians captives provides no information regarding their well-being the roof-knocking protocol is a procedure invented and uniquely used by Israel to prevent the killing of Palestinian civilians before military attack, which, I don't know, I'm trying to understand the sense in it. That's when they, like, drop something on the roof of the building that they're going to destroy because there's terrorists in it so civilians can get out. It seems pretty clear to me that the terrorists are getting out also, so whatever, that's a whole other discussion. The Russians are not following any such protocols before attacking civilian areas in the Ukraine. Israel and the Ukraine are democracies. This is hugely important. Russia is not. And no election has been held in Gaza or the West Bank since 2006. I would change that to Judea and Samaria since 2006. Um, there is a great, there's a few great posts that have been going up. Um, Micha Odenheimer, if you're on Facebook, look him up. He put out some really good posts. Paula Stern as well. And I highly, highly recommend an article. You can easily find it. It's on the JNS, the Jewish News Service, um, by David Wormser whom I've interviewed before, called The Bride of the JCPOA and America's Regional Collapse. Highly, highly recommend that to understand the mentality of what's happening here, the tribal mentality of the Middle East. And now that America, who has been like, you know, protecting the tribes is now withdrawing its protection from the tribes of the Middle East, the tribe of Saudi Arabia, the, the Jewish tribe of Israel, the tribes of the Emirates, okay? And that is very, very scary and also very, very, um, uh, it's like an earthquake here. And that means that people have to find another tribal leader. If those of you who are watching Outlander, which I've been watching, I don't watch much TV, but I read those books all through the years and I'm loving the show. Yeah. So think about if like Jamie just decided that he wasn't protecting his men and protecting his people. It'd be a whole different situation, right? Just to put it in modern things. Anyway, so, um, so that is, that is huge. Uh, that's, that's a great article, David Wormser in the JNS, the bride of the JCPOA and America's regional collapse spread it around widely. Okay. And we need to understand that while these, de the democracies, all democracy in the world now are insanely flawed and very manipulated. Do we need to talk about Hunter Biden's laptop that, that disappeared, that information disappeared just when it would have maybe made a difference in the election. So yeah, the so-called freedoms of the press are not so free, uh, except of course on this show where I can say what I want. But um, but at least they are in some semblance of the people um, deciding who rules them. Can make stupid decisions, but at least there's some semblance of that. Uh, despite all the manipulation, Russia is not a democracy. Uh, Russia the, Russia has been a monarchy, and essentially Putin's acting like that. Uh, for a very, very, very long time. And that's the way they think. 
um, and we need to realize that. So we need to work on our democracies to keep them from being as flawed as they are, but we still need to appreciate those who are listening to me who are lucky enough to live in the democracies that at least we have that um, and not for one minute think that um, that you would want to live in a country that isn't democratic where you can just disappear in the middle of the night and you know and and it's a whole other whole other scene and the last point to differentiate Russia unilaterally initiated the uh, unilaterally initiated the military move against Ukraine and is using false flag tactics in the last two rounds of fighting in Gaza for example Israel was, was responding to escalations by Hamas you cannot take that away Israel just doesn't randomly wage war on Hamas we actually have built um, at least initially we built um, industrial zones and we wanted them to have work and everything we were looking for them to have prosperity and so everything that has happened and all the yelling at Israel has happened as a result of being attacked and that is hugely hugely important Russia was not as far I mean they're making up you know at least as far as we know that they were provoked um in, I just heard yesterday that the new analysis is that they're trying to cut the Ukraine off from the, the Black Sea which is very big so in the end they won't take over the whole Ukraine they'll just take over the section that is near the black the the black sea which of course um makes ukraine landlocked and has huge 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 ramifications for their economy and for of course security and for a whole lot of other things all right so um the indiscriminate firing of rockets at jerusalem the kidnapping and murder of three israeli teenagers etc etc those are all escalations that are what called for uh that's got israel to respond so there's a lot of things going on here a lot of subtext it's very very hard i know i'm having an incredibly difficult time i'm sure many of you are also in figuring out where the truth lies um on the face of it and it can't you know can't get past that the ukraine is a democracy that is being attacked by a non-democracy and that cannot be allowed to just happen because then every single other democracy with a very bad neighbor and if you're listening to this in america you really have to push yourself to understand what is going on in the rest of the world you're not worried about canada you're not worried about mexico i mean they could be annoying the mexicans but that's not they're not going to take over america or start shooting things in america understand that virtually everywhere else on the planet the good guys are living cheek to jowl with some really bad guys and this kind of precedent for the world just sitting back and allowing a totalitarian regime to attack and possibly even take over parts of a democracy is very, very, very frightening. Um, so, uh, you know, it's important to keep that in mind. Anyway, that's kind of it for today. Uh, got some stuff going on that I have to take care of, but I did want to share some of these thoughts with you and let you along with me, you know, really trying to find our way through all this and do what we can. Um, you have to do something though, right? Because we have to do something. You can't just sit on the sides and then say, oh, I didn't realize that this was happening because this is our world and this is the world we're leaving our children and our grandchildren. And we bear tremendous responsibility for the way that we leave it, which is also why I recycle, but that's an entirely different discussion. Anyway, everyone, wherever you are, I hope that uh, that you are well. And now it seems like there's another wave of COVID, but, but lighter, but more contagious, but maybe not as devastating. So, oh God, aren't we just so tired of this two years? But stay well wherever you are. Keep your weight down. Take your vitamins. 
um, you know, and do whatever you can. Get vaccinated if that's if you feel that that's the way to go. I did because I do, um, and just uh, you know, just be safe, but still wear your seatbelt. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network, with thanks as always to Ben and to Tabitha, and uh, take care, everybody, and goodbye for now. This week on The Jewish Story, The Lebanon War, 1982. These then are the three goals which will drive the war in Lebanon. Destroy the PLO's military capability and hopefully with it their political legitimacy. Number two, get Syria out of Lebanon. Number three, make an alliance with the Maronite Christians to reshape Lebanon's politics, hopefully forever. And all Israel had to do to achieve these goals was find a potential Christian leader in Lebanon and undertake a full-scale invasion in order to destroy the PLO, drive out Syria, and secure his power. What could possibly go wrong? That's The Jewish Story with Rav Mike Foyer on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.